Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Should you be rewarded financially for hard work? Are you allowed to be successful? Can our stories inspire others as opposed to being cut down for standing above? Are humans jealous creatures by nature? Is it even jealousy? Does it exist in every culture? If I can't have it, you shouldn't either. That type of thing right there. Today I'm chatting with Simran Kaur, who's the founder and host of the wildly popular Girls That Invest podcast, and we're just going to have a chat because we ended up talking about this via text, and I thought, come on the show, we'll have a chat. We're going to read out your comments and discuss them from the Facebook group, but we can't do this episode without Tao. At Tao, supporting customers and their families through the claims paid is the most important thing they do. In the 2021 financial year, they paid $2.7 billion in claims to nearly 40,000 customers. So crazy. Did you know injuries and fractures is the third most common reason for accepted claims at Tau, including joint dislocation and bone fracture. And I was painting my house the other day, almost fell off, almost a claim waiting to happen. Uh, But they accounted for more than 16% of all the claims that Tau accepted in 2021. If you want more information on the claim stats that Tau have, click the link in the show notes. If you need an advisor to organize your own protection for your life, head to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help. I'd love to introduce you. You're listening to Glenn James on My Millennial Money. And this is part three, unofficially third extension of the two-part series that we did on Mindset. I thought it was just worth bundling this conversation in. Let's have a chat with Sim. Thanks for listening. Sim, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me again. I'm so excited to have this chat. I think it's an interesting one. It really is. And I thought what we should do at the outset is, and I've just closed it, I'll get it back up, a bit of a, um, a definition of tall poppy syndrome. And there's a Wikipedia thing here that says, the tall poppy syndrome is a cultural phenomenon. Is that how you say it? Phenomenon. In which, phenomenon in which people hold back criticize or sabotage those who have or believe to have achieved notable success in one or more aspects of life, particularly intellectual or cultural wealth, cutting down the tall poppies. I mean, we got chatting about this stuff over text message a couple of weeks ago. And I'm like, we need to talk about this because it's wild. And I don't know if it exists as wildly in other parts of the world as it does, particularly in Australia and New Zealand. But do you want to maybe have some opening comments from, I don't know. And if you haven't heard Sim's uh, podcast or Instagram, you know, 
tell us just a little bit about your story uh, to set the scene and then your comments on Tall Poppy or whatever. And then, I don't know, we'll do something. We'll take this somewhere. So firstly, like with Tall Poppy, I think it's one of the few things that Australians and Kiwis can agree on that we kind of experience. And I haven't seen it in other parts of the world. So I do think it's something unique to, to both our cultures. Um, and, it, you know, sort of leading back to my experiences and my story, For those that are unfamiliar, I would say, you know, I kind of just started off as, you know, just like any other person. You kind of just get into work, you do your job. Um, And then in the last couple of months, I would say, in the last six months, the brand that I was growing on the side, which was, you know, initially just something that we were doing for fun, really took off, brought us a lot of experiences and sort of took us to places that we never thought we would go And so that was kind of the conversation that we were having where we went, wow, you know, when you do reach certain milestones, for example, certain net net worth or, you know, being invited to go to a certain conference, doing a TEDx talk, for example, things like that, um, it does bring about this tall poppy syndrome, which I never actually believed we had. I used to think that people that would speak about tall poppy were just kind of whining And I thought, you know, it's not really that real. Like, I've never seen people be that intense about it, but it actually exists and it blows my mind. Mm. Yeah, it's it's wild. And I was actually chatting with somebody yesterday about this and I was saying, oh, I'm doing an episode with Sim about tall poppy syndrome and all that. And we kind of were thinking, like, it's not really a problem in the United States of America as much as it is here. So, you know, pew, pew, America, freedom, democracy, like capitalism, you know, greed is good, all that stuff, like we champion all that. And then this person who I was talking to actually lived in the UK growing up and there's that kind of drizzly mood and there are some stereotypes of people from the UK, you know, or, or, you know, sad sacks and all that and, you know, because of the cloud cover and, you know, oh, this is woe is me and all that. Well, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just like this person was saying their experiences living there, growing up in the UK. Um, And it's fascinating. And I said, that's so interesting because mainstream Australian culture and probably for Kiwis, we are heavily influenced in our culture from the United States, but a big part of recent heritage in Australia and New Zealand has been influenced from the United Kingdom. So, I wonder if there is this dance between championing success, but there's just some innate thing. It's like, how dare you do that? Whoa, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. That's such a good point because, like, in America you see things like the GOAT or the MVP of, you know, certain sports and they're very big on that and that's where, you know, all the big awards are, like the Globes and the Academy Awards. Um, And then, yeah, because you do kind of grow up being taught. I went to a very um, 
like strict school and we were taught, you know, you don't speak about these things. It's rude to share your success. Like I would remember we'd get a grade at school and if you got like an A plus, you'd turn your paper over so that no one else could see that you got an A plus because someone else might not have and you don't want to make them feel bad. Um, and I think, I think to a degree, it's good to be humble. Like it, it, context is important. And someone did actually bring that up in a comment um, mm. in, in the Facebook group. You know, you don't want to be speaking about success if you can't read the room. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you probably articulated it better than me. It's kind of like this polite society. We don't talk about money. We don't talk about politics. We don't talk about drugs and religion and is drugs one of the things you don't talk about at the coffee table or the dinner table? Whatever, I don't know. But it's it's this convergence of polite society versus um, champion success, right? And yeah, absolutely, we all need to acknowledge. And there was yeah comments in there about it's a reading the room thing and also acknowledging your own privilege. And how have you found it? So, like, this time last year, you were a full-time optometrist and- you were, you know, you had some Instagram account and you had a passion for money and finance and then you you moved into that and now you're basically a full-time content creator, right? Yeah. And you've been quite vocal with your story. Like, how have you personally dealt with this change? I mean, I don't listen to your podcasts and that's not an effect, uh, a thing against you. I just don't listen to any other money podcasts. Uh, but I saw a, a title in yours about sharing a million dollar net worth. Was that you that you were talking about? It was. So with sort of my journey, I am a huge believer from the start, even when I had, you know, a net worth of $8,000, that was something that I I wanted to share with people and I wanted to break things down. Um, And I just find transparency so interesting and helpful. And I do understand that that also comes with that territory of, are you boasting? Because, you know, I, if I did the same thing at the start, when I had, you know, not a lot of money, that was brave. And, you know, thanks for sharing. Um, and then as the experience grows, and let's say my net worth grows, I'm always worried, you know, is sharing it now not seen as that exact same thing, even though the actions are the same, is it starting to be seen as, no one cares why you're sharing this, you know, people are struggling. And so, um, and in the episode itself that Sonia and I had, it was actually more about, you know, the struggles that came to to reach something like that so quickly and perhaps the, the grass isn't always greener side of things because I think it was something that I always thought, wouldn't it be so cool if that ever happened? And when it happened, it was the most anticlimactic thing that, you know, mm. I'd experienced in my life. So, how did you, like, manage that? Did you have people sliding into your DM saying, what are you doing that for? Because when you know someone, you know the intent, right? Mm-hmm. And I know that you sharing that, and that's why I just wanted to clarify that it was you because I just wasn't sure. I just say, saw a million-dollar net worth story. You're sharing that more to encourage others that anything's actually possible. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think, you know, the way that I learnt best was not from 
like reading books about how to be successful, but listening to podcasts or reading books about people that had done it. And when you hear their stories, um, you just get a better idea of like, okay, this were the, these were the challenges they faced. This, these were the actions they took. And you just get a more step-by-step understanding. And so I always thought to myself, if I ever get anywhere, you know, worth sharing, I want to share that journey. I want to share that experience because that's how I learn best. And I would say 95% of the time people appreciate it and they say, you know, thank you for being so open and honest and, you know, thank you for sharing how your business runs, you know, how much you make. Um, And it's really interesting. Like the other day I was getting my nails done. The lady sitting next to me was completely silent. Um, And then at the very end, she got up and she said, by the way, like, congrats on how much you made in January. And I was like, that's right. I shared my salary in January. Oh, awkward. It's like the convergence of online coming in real life. Yeah. And and on one hand, it was so odd because I think that was the very first time someone I've never met before has commented on, you know, how much I've made. But at the same time, I was so happy that it was such a normal conversation and that, you know, people can see this and go, "Mm, interesting, like that's even possible because it was a big number that month. Um, But I think what I'm trying to get to by sharing this is less about look at me I'm doing really well um, but more about this is exactly how I did it if you're interested and you want to follow along that journey so that you can do something similar in your own field or in your own way by all means you know take it Mm. yeah I it's it's just fascinating because we've taken the view particularly with me on the podcast (sighs) It's just hard, like, because you can't please everyone when you're a, a public figure and you've got, you know, a platform and podcast or whatnot. But we've taken the view, even if I talk about any money examples, we just beep it out because, you know, if I said, oh, I've got a net worth of X million, for example, I would be crucified. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know, like, yeah, I just... I don't know. And to the point, it, again, like the, the numbers don't mean that much, right? Because if your milestone was a $200,000 net worth, you would have done the episode anyway, mm. saying that you'd met your milestone. So, it really isn't about the money. But I just know like even this episode and us talking about this stuff, it's big rage bait for some of you listening because- I know some of you that are listening are listening for the got your points so that you can, you know, write something on Reddit and say, oh, they said this. But this is just a frank conversation about how, as a society, I think we just need to try and kill tall poppy syndrome and champion any success. And I would also say champion any relative success because this episode, Simon, I actually haven't told you, is the third part of an episode that I did with with John on money mindset. And the first episode, uh, two weeks ago, uh, we talked about like the practical things that we can implement with our mindset. The second week, which was last week, I talked about um, really philosophical and mindset-y mindset things, like <laughs> <laughs> actually nothing really practical. And this week, we're just drilling down on this one topic that we've all been victim to. And We talk about relative success because, you know, if somebody listening got a $2,000 pay rise, 
that's awesome. Congratulations. Like you're absolutely killing it in your world. If you mention that to a a friend or family member in your own world and mention that, that person could be like, oh, that's nothing. What are you even talking about? Where that's tall poppy syndrome, dismissing it, that Mm. it's nothing like you haven't achieved. Or that person could be, oh, that's so much. You don't even deserve it. You don't even work for it. I know how much you work. So, the other side of the coin is tall poppy syndrome, where it's like, can we just celebrate your own relative success that you managed to discuss your salary with your boss? They gave you a $2,000 pay rise. You might be on the minimum wage at the moment. Relative success, you're absolutely killing it relative to your situation. I completely agree. I think that's a really good way of putting it. And, you know, sort of speaking on tall poppy itself, I think we've all to a degree been, you know, somewhat guilty of feeling jealous or maybe not, you know, so happy for someone else's success. And I think if that's this experience that you go through, I never want people to feel like they should feel bad about themselves for having that initial reaction because your initial reaction is never always your true reaction. It's just maybe what you've been brought up to think maybe it's what people around you usually think but what is quite important is that second thought you have so let's just say you know your best friend buys a house and your first initial thought is well she had her parents help so screw it you know um that's your first thought but your second thought if it's well hey you know she still put in some effort I'm sure she'd acknowledge her privilege if I asked her you know did your parents help you I'm sure she wouldn't have lied about it um but she's allowed to put a post on Instagram that she bought a house and she's allowed to be happy about it if that's that second follow-up thought you have I think that's such a good step towards the right direction because we've all you know felt a certain pang of jealousy but it's what do you do after that yeah, and that's right. And it's just really not about the money. Like I shared an example, I think last episode, like, you know, you might be trying to start a family, right? And then you see your friends or your family, or your brother or sister-in-law, oh, we feel pregnant. We weren't even trying. Surprise. And you're like, oh, they didn't even like, they don't, they don't value that. And you have all these comments. And I think I was saying that around the whole, when we do have those, and you said it good, like the first thoughts, that's when we have to go, oh, hang on, check myself. Am I actually buying into this thing? And in the last episode, I called like envy and jealousy um, toxins that we need to remove from our bloodstream because they really only impact us. Absolutely. So it's it's actually not about the money. It's, it's so weird, isn't it? It really is. And- you know, something that I've found has helped me, because again, I'm not going to pretend like I've never felt jealous about anything in my life. One thing that really changed, well, I guess two things changed the sort of trajectory that I was going on. The first being, instead of saying, you know, the phrase, oh, I wish I could have that, or like, they're so lucky, I changed it to, you know, they're so lucky that they got that and now I'm going to do what I can to get it too. Mm. And just, mm. you know, even if it's felt impossible, um, that sort of mind shift change of seeing other people um, become successful in their fields, when you sort of change it around to go, well, if they can do it, then why can't I do it? In fact, I should view their success as motivation. Um, 
it just starts to feel a little bit more empowering and, and, you know, you're a little bit better off because I used to really struggle um, sort of growing up and seeing other people doing things I wanted to, for example, in business. I would get to the point where, you know, I always wanted to have a business. And if I saw someone creating something great, I'd go, why didn't I think of that? Like, what's wrong with me? And I'd get quite upset at myself over it. And to switch that around and go, no, like, I'm really happy for them. And if they can do it, if that's what I really want to do, I can do it too. I think that really, really helped me. Yeah. I think like in, you know, and I've grown as a, I'll say a broadcaster or a podcaster. Like I've talked with more people I know the world isn't black and white, it's grey. So, I'm learning and a lot of our listeners would know that I'm going on this journey of understanding everyone comes from their, a different place. But I think sometimes the whole tall poppy syndrome thing, people particularly, and it's not our core listeners who just love what we do and all that. It's the drop-ins that, you know, I don't know, they just want to always pick something negative. And some of the things are probably valid but I found some of my tall poppy syndrome has been people getting um, confidence and arrogance confused um, because I would hope any of my staff members, any people who know me or are in, you know, friendship, and we've had a, a friendship now for some time and I would hope that if I was acting in a way that was genuinely arrogant, that a good life-giving friend or family member will say, hey, Glenn, that, you're actually an arrogant asshole. You need to chill out. But I think in the heat of the moment, sometimes that's where these thoughts come out of, right? In the heat of the moment, oh, he's confident. Oh, and that's arrogant. So, yeah, I'm just trying to navigate around this topic and just talk about it and and put the challenge back that, do you think... I said this in the last episode, it's that thing, it's like, just because I can't have it, you shouldn't be able to as well. Like, that's kind of a bit of a vibe, do you think? I think there's definitely some degree of it. Like, I'm sure there's like a multitude of reasons why people might feel jealous. But I think if you look at someone's success, like, for example, if you looked at someone's financial success, if you thought at some stage I'm going to be able to make that much too, you'd be happy for them. But if you had a fixed mindset of I could never own that kind of car, therefore why should you? I think there's definitely um, some people that would view it from that angle. And, you know, I think what people really get upset about is perhaps the lack of acknowledgement that other people have around how they've achieved certain things. And that kind of leads me back to, you know, when I share everything that I do, it's not a like disclaimer, but I always add that segment of like, I did this, but I also had help from X, Y, and Z. Mm. Or like, for example, I started my first brand when I was, you know, 18, 19, but that was also because I lived at home at university. I didn't have to go and get an extra mm. job and the extra jobs that I would get, I would then go and like spend it on Sephora because I wasn't paying rent. Um, and so things like that, I think really help with people understanding privilege and then not coming from a place of, you know, I can't do it. Yeah. So it is that um, privilege and then it's just reading the room and a real example with My Millennial Money, like we run the podcast My Millennial Business and for small business owners, you know, if you go and have a look, there's an episode there, how I started My Millennial Money. In that episode, I mentioned a salary figure that 
I was earning when I had my own business and it's like I had to at least earn this amount and I said it openly and I said to Nathan, no, leave it in there because that business audience, there is this commercial mindset of, yep, this is what it is. We're all running business. We're all taking on risks and all that where I probably wouldn't mention that salary here on this podcast because um, the wolves would come out. It was $200,000 just for everyone think like I was just, the context was like, uh, if I was dr- drawing at least $200,000 a year as, you know, in my own financial planning business. And when I sold that and started my millennial money with no income, I lived off my own savings, not producing any, an income. So it was like, there was basically 600 grand there that I had to get from somewhere. Mm. And it, you know, so that, that's kind of where that, so just for everyone's wondering, so you don't have to look, but that was just an example. And if you understand the concept, if someone's running a business, employing multiple staff members, if the minimum wage is call it 60 grand and there's five staff members, like do the maths, like there's money in this business coming in. And as a business owner, you're not doing stuff without a premium reward for the risk that you take on. Anyway, I get ranty and this is why I probably get criticised. But No, no. Uh, can I jump on that actually? Yeah, please go for it. I'll shut up. I'll put my mic on mute. Go for it. <laughs> I, it's interesting that you mentioned that $200,000 number because um, and the thing that you were mentioning earlier, you know, between trying to find that soft spot, um, sweet spot between ar- arrogance and confidence. I remember many years ago, I was having lunch with a friend and they we were kind of talking about salaries. Um, you know, what would be our ideal salary? We were in university at the time. And they were like, you know, a hundred grand a year, that would be success to me. And I was like, oh, really? And they were like, oh, it doesn't sound like that's what it would be for you. And I said, you know, probably 200 and I just remember the look they gave me. Um, and I, I, I had, in that moment, I felt like I'd said something wrong. And I felt like maybe I've overstepped that from confidence to arrogance boundary. Mm. But, you know, looking back, things have changed. They've definitely changed their mindset as well. But that was a moment in time where I felt like, you know, I was comfortable to share such a crazy big number and I didn't really at the time care about how someone else would perceive it. And I've kind of gone through life that way. And it comes from this sort of idea that, you know, people's perception as to what is arrogant and what is confident is completely up to them. And I don't feel like anyone, anyone listening or myself needs to feel like they have to bring down their accomplishments or kind of hush about them in fear of what other people will think. And so I think there's some power in actually being quite loud and outspoken. And I'm quite shameless, I would say, you know, if we have any form of success with any of our brands, we put it on our stories. I also sometimes put it on my LinkedIn. And that's, you know, kind of, I know a bit annoying. And I'm probably one of those LinkedIn bros um, as a result, because there's always something every day about we've done this, we've done that. Can you not bring gender into LinkedIn? (laughs) I will have to say that that's something I'll keep doing. Um, but oh, that's a bit of an in joke there, everyone. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I know that for New Zealand, New Zealand is such a small country. I know that posting every third day about this statistic or what we've done here or what we've done there, I'm sure it gets annoying to some people. I'm sure I'm probably muted on some people's LinkedIn's. But mm. to me, like I know the work I'm doing and I'm loud and proud about it. And 
it's brought opportunities to me because at the end of the day, people might think you're annoying, but they'll also remember that you do the work and you get amazing results. Mm. Um, and I find that that, you know, outweighs people being a little bit pissed that I'm posting so much on there. Yeah, I, I always go back to, and we'll get onto these questions because I, I don't want these to be self-indulgent. I just want people to hear our stories and think about their own stories because you're all not here with us. Um, we're not having a stadium show with interviewing everyone, but I, I just kind of go back to it's like the type of podcast that I run, and I won't speak for you, but like do you want someone running a financial podcast that's encouraging you to do the best thing that you can with your money to have whatever success means to you? Do you want someone who hasn't been through it and doesn't have any financial success? I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, all I can say is I don't have a podcast on hair growth or hairstyling. I don't have those podcasts. Why not? I'm just not a subject matter expert with hair growth and I can't live it, can't live and breathe it. I'm sorry. <laughs> there's a will, there's a way, Glenn. <laughs> well, it might cost $10,000 and some uh, weekly or daily medications, but um, I just think it's, you know, I want all my listeners to do well in whatever goal they want and it's not necessarily about the money and I want to champion every goal, however small and if someone's goal is to save up and buy a French poodle that's $6,000, awesome, let's get there. Someone else might go, that's dumb. Well, it's not your goal. Piss off. Like, So I think this is um, probably, we probably should have a break and then come back and just read some comments in the group. Do you want to add anything? <laughs> I've just, I, I live in my head too much. Every time I do podcasts, I'm like, oh gosh, what am I doing? I think we're all like that. Like you just like, is anyone gonna is anyone gonna like this? But people do like that's why it's done so well. Like it's not a small community you have. No, but I'm not a professional. I'm just doing it every couple couple of times a week. Uh let's come back and then I want to talk to you about um your newest endeavor. Um because I want to give people the chance to uh tear you down. Let's do it. You tall, poppy, you know, achieving all the good stuff. So we'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Okay, we're back. Tall poppy syndrome. Sim, your world has changed in the last year, right? Yes. Like you've gone from spectacles. Actually, I was at the optometrist and I was texting you when I was there and showing you photos and all that. And I said to the optometrist, I'm like, oh, so the lens glass? They're like, <laughs> No. No, they haven't had glass for like 50 years. <laughs> glass is old school. <laughs> No, I'm like, oh, I thought they were like glass. So, yeah, you've come from optical, took a huge leap, started the Instagram and the podcast. I don't know what came first, probably doesn't matter. And now you're an author. Yes, it sounds absolutely crazy and it mm. feels crazy. I remember sort of um, October last year is when I made the decision to leave my job and it was such a 
full-on stressful time and I just remember one thing one of my colleagues said to me because a lot of things happened at once you know we had our course release um we, I got the book deal um, and a couple of things that happened all in one week and a friend of mine at, at work she was like look you're allowed to be stressed your life has changed within a single week um you know give yourself some grace and I was like wow it really has even though I've been working on all these things for so long you know years um, things kind of accumulate and sometimes they burst out all at once. And it blows my mind that this time last year, you know, I just had a normal nine to five job and a hobby. And now I work for myself and I've got someone, you know, working alongside me and I've got a book pre-sale um, happening. And, you know, with a number five finance book um, in pre-sales on book depository right now, like that stuff doesn't, you couldn't have dreamt it up. That's what I like to think. Yeah. So just... Tell us about the book because I've had a look at the book. I've got my little copy and I don't know if in the final version, my testimony will make it, but I read the introduction and you just hooked me in and I'm going to buy my niece, Grace, a copy and I haven't bought her a copy of my own book or given her a copy of my own book. I think you're, you've just, tell us about when you wrote it, why did you write it? What's the result for the reader? Uh, because, yeah, I, I just thought, yeah, can you say something? Because I'm speechless, <laughs> as usual. Firstly, thank you. That's very kind. Um, uh, with the book, the idea behind it kind of came from everyone kept asking us, you know, do you recommend any investing specific books? And we had a lot of different recommendations, you know, read this for mindset, read this for how to invest, read this for strategies. But there was nothing that was kind of one book that brought all of that together and was kind of, you know, recent to a degree and had that sort of uh, a female perspective, you could say, because in the first chapter of the book, just get straight into it. There's no fluffing around. It's like, look, this is the exact reason why women are not investing. This is laid out. Let's actually look at the history. I'm a huge history buff, so I got to nerd out a little bit um, and kind of speak about the experiences of what's happened in the past that have led us to where we are because I think a lot of people put a lot of pressure on themselves to go, wow, I haven't achieved what I want to financially and that's completely my own fault. And Yes, you've got autonomy to some degree, but we forget the, you know, cultural aspects, the financial aspects, the gender aspects, um, class aspects that we all go through that are generations long that have led us to where we are right now. And if we don't acknowledge that, then you're just going to keep blaming yourself for where you are instead of going, you know what, there's a little bit of weight that I can throw off my shoulder and now let's actually focus on getting started. And I just love, I'm, I'm just looking at the contents here. It's a two-part book. So, you've got the part one, like, why become an investor? And that's so important because a lot of the time, you know, people think, well, it's too risky. Why bother? And then you talk about why we can't just have cash. You talk about, and this is the big one, the misconceptions that hold people back. So, all those myths. You've got the first five bricks, how to kind of start your investing life and what you need to put in order. You know, you've got 101 of, of what the stock market is and some stuff there. And then you move to more of a, um, a practical part of the book. And you talk about the ethical investor, the female investor, the lazy investor, which sounds like me, <laughs> and the spicy investor or spicy investing. 
and then you kind of bring it all home. And I really, I, I'm going to, I've only got this preview copy, but once the full copy comes out, I'm getting it and I'll definitely read it um, once you've made all those final tweaks because as a, you get these demo copies to send out and all that and then you go, oh, hang on, I've got to just tweak that and tweak this. So I would just encourage anyone who's interested in getting encouraged, like you may already have my book and I thank you for that, but we always need to learn from different perspectives and, dis- and different teaching techniques because, you know, as much as the book that I wrote has a couple of chapters on investing in shares, that might have not done anything for you, but you pick up Sim's book and you're like, ah, I get it. She actually made it, made sense because she's not a, a bogan like Glenn. So, I would encourage anyone to read any book and glean at least one thing from anything that you pick up and read. I have to say, I think you should give your book a little bit more credit. It's a good, it's a good book and there's um, a lot of great chapters on, on investing. Um, but yeah, I think with the structure that I wanted to bring, I guess it's a structure that I hadn't seen before and it's very university-based. You know, the first half is that theory. You just need the theory behind it to understand it and then the second half is, okay, let's throw you out there in the real world. Let's get mm. into the practical stuff. Um, and, and that's, you know, how I I grew up learning. That's how you teach med students. That's how you teach optometrists. You get your theory down and then you get pushed out to actually go and do the thing. Um, and so... It's just interesting to me that, you know, investing is so simple. I really enjoyed writing the book. It was such a great experience, but there's just, like you mentioned, so much jargon and the demystifying part was the most fun to write because once it's explained, because I used to have these, you know, misconceptions and misunderstandings, once it's explained, it's like, ah, makes sense. I love the um, the part about housing and everyone can wait to see it, the diagram of Mrs. Housing. And it just like those basic concepts that we just don't think about, we get from another angle, right? Exactly. Yeah. But it, it's, an, it's interesting and, and kind of relating back to small, sorry, relating back to tall poppy, um, mm. you know, so far the commentary and the reception of the pre-sale has been overwhelmingly amazing. But, you know, it's interesting to me, the most tall poppy I experience is not from people I've never met. It's never from our community. It's always from people you know and people you grew up with and the people that go, wait a minute, like, I never thought you were that cool. Like, why do you have a book? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And it's kind of, yeah, it's just fascinating. I mean, there's an analogy there with um, Judas and Jesus somewhere in there, like the the ones that are closer to you, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> um, but jump on the pre-sale. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, we'll put a link there to Booktopia, to Amazon. They're kind of the main ones uh, online in Australia. Um, if you want to go into your normal bookstore or whatever, you might be able to do that online. Uh, and remember, if you're buying a copy of Sims book, the rules are, if you heard it on my podcast, you've got to buy a copy of mine. And in fact, you need to buy two copies of Sims book, one copy of mine, give mine and Sims away and keep one Sims for yourself. Because if you buy in bulk, you can save on postage. So there you go. We'll, um, we'll get it out there. But honestly, guys, I would not be, I got sent another book the other day. Um, let me, oh, I can't find it. I was just going to show Sim and not mention it. And 
they wanted to come on the podcast and talk about their book. And I'm like, nope, I don't think this is any value for anyone. So I'm not going to talk about it. I don't want to promote it because I don't see the value in it for my listeners. So I'm only talking about this stuff because I see the value in it. So thanks for just sharing a little bit. And I know we probably took 10 minutes to talk about your book, but you did a really great job. You should be very proud of yourself. And I know that your community are going to froth all over this. This is going to be a truly global book. And I will tell you now, I wouldn't be surprised if we see you on a New York Times bestseller, either if it's this book or the next one, honestly, like watch this space, everyone, and you're just going to slaughter it. And it was probably because you were influenced by someone where they wrote the book. Tell us about that. I was what, sorry? You were influenced by another author who wrote the book somewhere at a, at a location. Tell us about that. Oh, yes, yes. I Let me get into it. I was told by another great author that, you know, he went to Queenstown to write his book. And I was like, well, that book was great. So if I follow the same methods, let me just go to Queenstown too and write mine. Um, and you were right. It was a great location. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Kate Lambie says, I guess... More of a comment than a question, but I feel that if your success comes at the cost of exploiting the labor of someone else, then that success does not belong to you. Amen. I completely agree. I actually wanted to ask you, what were your thoughts on that? Like just off the bat. Oh, if you exploit people, uh, you can write in hell. I don't know if that's clear enough. Um, <laughs> like, Honestly, like there's a dickhead that lives down the road from my house. I used to rent a property off him. He takes advantage of people. He's a slumlord, charges an absorbent amount of rent, have people living who can't get accommodation, and he um, has a legal place overcharging like $300 a night. And it's all cash, like, and he's a slumlord and he's really wealthy. And I've got no respect for him because he's a, yeah, like, if you're exploiting people or taking advantage of people, to get ahead financially, status, culturally, whatever. And, you know, you are a scumbag. You're not successful, are you? No, really? No, not at all. There was this um, story, and if you're listening from New Zealand, you'll know who I'm talking about, but there was a restaurant chain in New Zealand that was actually really good and really tasty, but it came out that they were hiring people that weren't legally allowed to work and paying them under the table and paying them like $5 an hour. And of course, they can't complain because they were illegally working to begin with. But you know, and you see this family driving around and they've got the most beautiful cars and the most beautiful homes. And it's like, you've done that, you know, off the backs of quite literally taking exploitation of all these people. Like if, I'll be honest, if, if that was me, if those were my restaurants, I wouldn't be able to show my face in public. I wouldn't want to drive around in fancy cars. It's quite literally off the backs of other people. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I just, and even like bringing it right home, any like staff that I pay and there's like an award rate. So you might be in Australia. I don't know if it might be the same there. Like you might be under a, an award and this is the pay rate based on experience. I never pay the actual award. I'll always pay maybe three to 5% above the award, no matter what the rate is, because I, as an employer, want to make the conscious decision that I just don't pay the award rack rate. Yeah. Like just want to always value people, 
you know, take them with me. You know, if the business is doing well, why can't the team do well as well? So, yeah, that's just, yeah, I'm, I, I, I've got a bit of a really bugbear, like our podcast supports a charity called A21, which is, uh, helps abolish uh, human trafficking and slavery. Uh, so, I've got a real bugbear with um, exploiting people. Um, as you know, any reasonable person should. So good on you, Glenn. That. Yeah, is <laughs> that? Um. I'm glad you feel that way. There was actually a. Well, st- I, I, it's just it's more of a like an active feeling of rage than a passive like. Yeah, that's normal. Like <laughs> that's wrong, says Glenn. Yeah. You know what? There Naughty. was a study that was looking at what. Kiwis wanted to invest in ethically and like 93% of them said they didn't want human trafficking as part of their investment schemes. And it just, I always think about it, like what is that 7% doing? The people that are like, oh, you know what? You got to do what you got to do. They want the money. Oh, it was so funny. Just uh, in a couple of weeks, everyone, you're going to hear an episode, a My Millennial Story episode. Um, I don't think it's going to be up by the time this one goes out. I was just talking to a girl and she had an investment account and she still does in the uh, in the UK somewhere. And she was telling me about it. I'm like, oh, I've never heard of that fund manager. And while we were doing the episode, I basically um, looked up the fund that she was invested in. I'm like, all right, here's the top 10 companies that's invested. And one of them was Philip Morris, Ooh. which is tobacco. I'm like, oh, did you know that you're investing a lot of your money into a fund that has a top 10 fund of um, tobacco? And she's like, oh, as long as animals aren't harmed, I don't care. I'm like, oh, so it's okay if you kill people, but just not animals. And it just was that realization that, oh, crap. On a few levels, like I didn't know Philip Morris was tobacco. I didn't know that, you know, I just put, the, like it was just interesting in real time. But now the thing is, that's fine because she didn't know. Mm. But I said to her, like, once you know and you don't resolve the problem, you got to make your bed you lay in. And sure, there's been instances where different small businesses have accidentally underpaid their staff and corrected it. There was no malice there. But if you're underpaying your staff and then you find out and you know about it and you don't change the situation, well, that is a problem. Absolutely. I completely agree. I don't think that that's a great area on that one. No, no, it's pretty black and white. Do you want to see if there's another one? I'll read one here. Do you want to look on? I'll read Michelle. Michelle Burns says, I love how when Sim talks about her own success, she acknowledges her privilege. We can acknowledge our privilege while also acknowledging hard work and sacrifice that lead to success. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Yeah, so that's that's a good one, isn't it? That is a good one. I have a story with that. That kind of mindset for me came about when I was studying and I got some good grades and my mum came up to me and was like, you know what, you know, don't just think that that was all on you. And I was so offended. I was 15. I was like, I'm the one that spent all those hours working like that. I deserve that grade. And she was like, yes, but, you know, you also live at home. We've also, you know, been bringing your dinner to your bedroom so that you could keep working, you know, folding the laundry so that you don't have to take any time out of your day so you can focus on this big exam. And not everyone has that experience. There are other people that are working for themselves, taking care of themselves and trying to study. Um, And you're allowed to say you did the work, but you also need to acknowledge that it's not just that. And 
It's just been so liberating to me to be able to do that because I can feel happy about the hard work that I do and it doesn't take that away from me when I say, but also I've had X, Y, Z. I've grown up in a really great area. I went I went to a great public school. It was public, but it's probably one of the top schools in the country. And I was surrounded by very smart, successful people that to me, what I'm doing or what I did never felt out of the ordinary. It just felt like everyone would act like this, you know, and that really shaped who I became. Yeah, I, I think it's um, as we grow and are more aware of our surroundings and yeah, I'll put my hand up and say I'm guilty of not appreciating other life experiences as much as I do now. Like growing up for me in suburbia, both mum and dad were at home. It was an okay income. We weren't you know, wealthy by any means, but we weren't impacted by um, a single income. We weren't impacted by disability. We weren't impacted by domestic violence. We weren't impacted by insert your thing here. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I was just thinking, Sim, like, this whole tall poppy thing, it's two-sided. So, one side of the coin, you know, as people, when we're talking with people, we need to read the room, we need to acknowledge, we need to know that, um, you know, you dress for the party that you're going to. But on the other side of the tall poppy coin, if you hear stuff when people say it, I love what you said, what's your first reaction? And then once everything calms down, your second reaction is usually like, oh, that's actually pretty good, I'm glad. And it's just practicing and pulling ourselves up when our mind goes to that, you can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of summarizing it because it's it's not saying, you know, let's blame tall poppy on one group of people or the other. It's, you know what, we, we all contribute to it in some way and we should all, mm. I guess, all check ourselves um, in regards to it because, yeah, it's not just one group of people. Do you want to read Kerry's comment. Have you got that there? Kerry yeah. McBride. I thought that was yeah interesting. I, li- I liked Kerry's one. Um, so, Kerry McBride in, in the um, comments said, I think it's key to note that hard work brings rewards for some, but not all, as privilege, luck, societal biases will also be factors. Some of the hardest working people in this country have never seen above min- minimum wage, so it should bring reward, but it's certainly not guaranteed. And I loved that comment because that to me is such an important point. People often say, you know what, just work hard. And that's kind of, you know, that side of the coin of reading the room. They say, just work hard. You can, if you want this, just work hard. And it's like, you know, some of these people work much harder than others, um, but you're not seeing like Jeff Bezos and his most hardest worker getting the same salary. Oh, totally. And I think, yeah, like my dad, like manual occupation most of his life and was minimum wage. Yeah, he, and that, you know, there's a two-edged sword here, right? He just, you know, worked and to one point he worked so hard he had a, 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 a mental breakdown basically. Um, just the wheels actually fell off. Um, that's what happens if you work seven days a week for four or five months straight, right? It's that no time for recreation, which is effectively recreation. And yeah, like it was it was just still a, a modest income and, you know, relatively okay, not university educated. But on the other side of that, when you plug in the personal finance side of it, you know, they're about to retire. They've got very healthy superannuation balances. They had the investment property. They paid off their house. And that's a really good case study of slow and steady. 
and just investing, not spending it all, keeping out of debt. So yeah, hard work doesn't always equal millions of dollars. So I don't know what we're going to do there, but there's a question here from Anonymous. Yeah, I mean, like someone anonymously also said, I fully support and encourage people to be successful, however that may look to them. However, they also need to read the room when talking about their success. Um, Have you experienced instances when you're about to share a story or you're sharing a story and you just kind of, you get a glance from someone or you just pick up on a vibe and you're like, you know what, Glenn, this is probably not the time or place. Yeah, absolutely. I think more so I've just experienced that it's not actually helpful on our platform for me to always share about my own stuff because it just doesn't help anyone. I mean, I'll encourage everyone. And yeah, if I use examples, for example, like I might talk about, oh, and if you do, you know, if you had $1,000 a month left over or something, you know, that $1,000 a month could mean one thing to one person, another to another. So we can just get Nathan to beep it out if we're, you know, talking about a critical example. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, It makes sense. Uh, All right. Well, we've outstayed our welcome as usual. Um, I'll finish with one from Ange. In some industries, it's considered a badge of honour to work harder than everyone else, brag about it, but not get paid for it. That's interesting. Don't know what interesting that would be. And when someone speaks up about it and says, would actually like to be financially compensated or rewarded for my extra hours or hard work, they are put down as lazy, selfish, or some other negative views, it creates a toxic setting of, you should just work for free because I did it. And that's not healthy for anyone. Far out. I, if there's one thing I don't like is people working and not getting paid for it. It's such like a culture of like, you know, that's how we've done it. So you should do it that way. And if you ask, like, I think that's where the stereotypes of millennials are entitled. Millennials don't want to work. I think millennials work plenty hard. But when we work hard, we also say, hey, I was here till seven o'clock every night. (laughs) Let's have a chat. Totally. Yeah. Could not agree more. All right. Simcor, girls that invest. Seriously, guys, buy her book. It's for everyone. Listen to their podcast, subscribe to their whatevers. I don't know, follow them on Instagram. She's on TikTok. She ain't no boomer like me on TikTok. Uh, she knows what's happening. Your TikTok's not bad, but thank nah, you. That's crap. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and Sim and I, we are going to FinCon in September in Florida. And we're both speaking there. So we're international speakers. Well, you already are. I'm very excited. It'll be fun. Yeah. So thanks everyone for listening. We hope that you enjoy your day. (laughs) Bye. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. 
This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.